Hello and welcome into the Take 10 Podcast. This is Alex Rue of Big Ten Network. And this episode's guests are former Indiana basketball star Christian Watford and Harold Shelton, the Big Ten Network Manager of Research. Let's get into it. Take a look, listen, and enjoy. Look at here, look at here. With the catch, the finish! All right, before we get to Christian Watford, a quick word from our sponsor, Northwestern University's School of Professional Studies. If you've ever thought about a career in sports, check out the master's program in sports administration at Northwestern University. You can build your skill set and your network in evening or online classes. Find out more at sps.northwestern.edu slash sports. Definitely check that out if you are looking to work in the sports industry, maybe work at a place like Big Ten Network. Check it out. Always appreciate our sponsor, at Northwestern SPS. All right, now we will get to Christian Watford, former Indiana basketball star. We talked to Mike Woodson higher. We reflect on C. Watt's career in Bloomington. And, um, of course, we talk a little bit about the big shot to beat Kentucky. Had to. So we'll get to it now. It's Take 10 Podcast interview with Christian Watford. I am very pleased to be joined by a former Hoosier star during a uh, pretty significant week or 10 days or so for Indiana basketball. It's none other than Christian Watford. Mr. Watford, man, how's it going? How are you? Man, everything going good, man. How you, how you doing, Alex? I'm doing all right. You know, just uh, getting into the uh, the weekend here. I think it's going to drop Monday, so it'll be about a week since the Mike Woodson presser, and we'll get to that in just okay. a minute. But, uh, you know, whenever I have athletes, former Big Ten stars on the show, I always want to kind of catch up see what they've been up to in the days since they were on campus. So just let us know off the top, man, what's been, uh, what's been good with you? What have you been up to? Um, and, you know, how's, just li- how's life treating you in general? Oh, man, it's been good, man. I actually, um, with my brother, uh, my younger brother, uh, plays been, his last two years been playing at, um, in Baton Rouge at LSU. Um, so two years ago, I really just stopped playing, man, because I was just so influential in the process of, like, helping him make the right decision. So it was just kind of opportunity for me to go into something else. Uh, so I jumped right into that, man, moved to Baton Rouge, been uh, been there two years. Um, so we got we got eliminated uh, probably a couple weeks ago. My brother got eliminated probably a couple weeks ago. So right now we're just in the, in the process of figuring out, you know, what we're going to do as far as, you know, declaring, staying. But I've been I've been still involved in the game, bro. My uh, my brother keeps me keeps keeps me in it. So I'm still getting that, you know, still get that competitive fire. Uh, and just just enjoying enjoying watching for sure. Yeah, at the hands of Michigan, um, you know, yeah. and team you're familiar with. What has it been like just to you know see your brother come up and uh, you know mentor him, show him kind of the tricks of the trade? Yeah, it's been good, man. It's been good. You know, it ain't been easy. Uh, it's been, you know, it's it's so many the times have changed as far as like you know how college basketball is these days. So it's a lot to keep these kids uh, you know level headed at all times, just because it's so much social media, their form, it's just so much. So, but it's been good though. I feel like uh, we, we, we learned a lot throughout these last two years and it's, it's been good for us moving forward. All right, so Christian, where were you when you found out the Mike Woodson news? What was your reaction? Kind of how were you following the whole search in general? Oh uh, man, I, I have been following it. I'm, I'm close with a lot of guys. I had actually, we actually played in Bloomington. Uh, we played against um, St. Bonaventure in Bloomington in the first round of the, uh, of the of the tournament. So I was able to come back. Uh, they weren't really letting me move around too much around the facility, but I talked to some people, talked to some doctors, talked to people that was there that, that's been involved in the, pro, in, in the program for the last 30, 40 years, man. But they were so, you know, they had that thing so tight, like they wasn't really nothing, letting nothing in as far as like, you know, they didn't even know like who, who people was looking at for the process. So you know, I was throwing out different names, but to be honest, Mike Woodson's name never really came up. It's been like that guy. I think he just got kind of traction like late. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm excited about the hire for sure. Absolutely. And, and backtracking a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. being back in Bloomington, what was it like, you know, being in that building and then, uh, you know, seeing, seeing your bro play there? Man, it was crazy because, like, you know, my, my brother basically grew up there, like, you know, from his childhood, from probably from – 10 to 14 or you know 
nine or thirteen or whatever it was. But um, you know, he was he was a baby there, man. He grew up. He always wanted to wanted a chance to play on that play play on the court. So it was it was a surreal feeling. But you know, me coming back in the building, uh, it was love, man. From 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 all the ushers, from you know, just from guys being there, it, it was love every time I walk in that building. So. I can't, you know, I can't thank them, thank, thank them guys enough for what Indiana has done for me, for sure. They spruced that place up a little bit, too, you know, since you were there. I feel yeah, like I was done. able to walk around. I went, like I said, I wasn't able to really go in the locker room and do, like, the whole tour. But it's been probably, since my brother been playing, I hadn't probably been back in a couple of years. So it's been upgraded since then. They got the, the uh, suites and stuff now that I went up to and checked out. So it was nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, back to Mike Woodson. You know, I don't expect you to be an expert or anything, but you did seem pretty excited on oh, yeah. social media about the the hire. So, what excites you? What do you think he might be able to bring, uh, you know, to a program that's looking to reboot? I think it's just first thing. I think he's just gonna bring that excitement back. Um, you know, people are excited. Uh, you know, just for people remember what Mike Woodson did as a player. They just remember him. He's he's a he's a Hoosier. So. I feel like people are just excited in general around Indiana just because, you know, they, they actually gave a, a Hoosier another opportunity uh, to coach this, to, you know, to, to bring this team, get this team back where uh, where it needs to be. But as far as player development, as far as, you know, the mindset and uh, Mike's been a coach, coach, coach Mike's been around a long time. Uh, I don't think it's going to be, I don't think the transition is going to be as easy as, as, as uh, you know, the fans want. Uh, I don't think it's going to be some immediate impact. It could be. I'm not saying it's not going to be, but I just want people to understand that it's going to take some time. But I do like to hire even more that, uh, you know, Dad Mata's coming with him on a, in, a, in a different role. I think it's going to be able to just maneuver him pretty, pretty, pretty smooth into the college game because I just, you know, you've been around pros for, for 25 years. Uh, you know, you can't really let certain teams you can, you can let, you know, college guys be, be, be adults and stuff like that. But certain, certain people you really can't, I think that's just where you're going to have to, you know, juggle it a little bit, but Hey, I'm excited about it. He, another, he, he, he's a Hoosier. I know he's going to bring that, that great tradition back and what it really means to put those uh, candy stripes on. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it for sure. Yeah. And you jumped into a, a big rebuilding project. Like this isn't necessarily that right. Like there's a, there's a foundation there. Right, 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 right. right. It's, not, a, it's a foundation already there. Yeah. yeah. It's not a full rebuild, but um, you did take a risk note and jump into a situation with a new coach and a rebuilding effort. It paid off for you. Mm -hmm. um, so what would your message be, you know, to people who are considering Indiana players who are considering Indiana right now in high school and, and looking at it, uh, you know, as, as potential opportunity to build something there? Oh, I think it's going to be big, man. I would tell those guys, uh, you, you're getting a coach that's done it for 25 years, know what it takes has seen all different different type of guys, different type of players. Uh, and I think it's just going to show those guys what it means to be a pro. And uh, not just not just on the court. I think he's going to be great off off the court as far as how they handle their body, how their their mental, their mindset. I think he's going I think he's going to challenge them in different ways that you know uh, coming in with a college coach at 18 years old, you don't you're not you're not really used to. So it's going it's going to be a different approach, but I think he's going to be real good with all right, we'll get into your career a little bit as well. You know, we all know about the Watt shot, uh, game yeah. winner to beat number one, Kentucky. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure you've been asked about it uh, countless times in mm -hmm. your life. So I got to get creative a little bit, right? Like, I can't just ask about the shot. And what, what right, there we go. Spice, spice it up, Alex. Let's go, man. I, I know, man. Like, I, I've done this before. This ain't my first rodeo. So it's yeah, like, yeah. I know you got you to mix it up. So uh, I'll ask, you know, to start it off. We all know about the shot. Um it was, it was Indiana's back, but I want to know what's the weirdest or most like unique place someone has brought that shot up to you, like um, in public. You know, where did somebody bring it up that that you were maybe surprised that they even knew about it? Um, man, that's a great question. That that is a great that is a great question. But I've literally been asked everywhere about the shot. Like, you know, I could be in. Like I've been playing in the G League, I just been Sioux Falls somewhere. Some guy run up to me, "Hey, you're Christian Warfare. You made the shot. Can I get a picture?" It's just I don't know. I just feel like the alumni, the alumni base in Indiana is so big that I see people everywhere asking me about this picture. I mean, everybody everywhere trying to take a picture, uh, remember the shot, remember exactly what they were doing uh, during the shot. So it's just it's a lot of you know. I guess I made some people some money. I hurt some people, so it's a lot of it's a lot of different memories right there when it comes when it comes to that uh, when it comes to that shot that people talk about. 
what was it like to win an SB? Like, did you meet anyone cool there backstage? Just oh yeah, man. Uh, out. Aaron Rodgers actually delivered me the uh, the SB, so I thought that was pretty cool. You know, one of, it's one of my favorite quarterbacks. I like A Rod a lot. Uh, but I met a I met a ton of people, bro. From uh, you know the late great Stuart Scott. I talked to him on the. I met everybody, Vince Young. I met a lot of I, mean, I met a lot of people on the red carpet. Uh, you know, just just talking to them and stuff like that. And when you get to talking to people, bro, you don't really realize how much like they may watch college basketball. And so you'd be like, hey, you know, I know you, or you know, I'm familiar with you and stuff like that. So it was like, it was a special time. But the most part of that. SB bro was just getting up there making a speech in front of that many people. At that at that age, I was a little nervous, you know, a little nervous. But I I, I think I handled myself pretty well. That's tough, man. Public speaking, especially like hey, man, hey, lives, man. Hey, live, no mess ups. Uh, everybody's looking, you know, you look out in the crowd, you see all these celebrities, actors, entertainers, and stuff. It was crazy. It was a crazy feeling. A little more pressure than a, a podcast on a Friday. Hey, I was more. That was probably more pressure than a shot, to be honest with you. For sure. Um, <laughs> Okay, last question about it. How would your life, do you think, be different without hitting that shot? You know, obviously those interactions wouldn't have happened, but uh, do you think you'd be a different person or, or you know, not really? No, nah, I don't really think so. I mean, because I had a – in the state of Indiana, whenever I come to the Midwest, I think it's always going to be love just because – not just because of the one shot, just because of the simple fact that I had a pretty successful career uh, being on that. I think the shot was just like the, just a real big boom moment, you know, and I think – uh, you know, kids that he watched them today that was probably young around that time. And I think it's just, it just keeps evolving, evolving. But I don't think, I don't think really anything would really be different, you know, uh, besides, you know, the time it comes around, everybody goes crazy. But I don't, I feel like I would still get the, not probably not the same love, but I still, I still would get love, you know, for sure. All right. I'm about to share my personal connection to the shot. Believe it or not, I have one. Okay. Um, so the man who assisted on the shot, Verdell Jones. Verdell, uh, yeah. Yep, went to my high school. Okay. Uh, Champagne French Yep, okay. yep. And uh, his brother Clayton is uh, is my yep. age. I was my teammate. He was the one feeding me on the wing uh, in high school. So that okay. you know, when, when uh, you hit that shot, we were still in high school, and I, it was, we just thought it was cool that Verdell assisted on it. Yeah, yeah. How was that? How was Clayton acting? Like how was how was that? I know, I know, I know. It was a wild time, bro. I know, I know. You probably remember. The funny thing is, Clayton. Uh, was he at the game? Was the, were they at the game? Or no? I actually don't know. I can't remember. I'll have to ask him after this. But Clayton and, and Verdell and uh and Verdell Sr. or their dad, they were always very pro IU and loud about it in Champagne, right? Because uh, Bruce Weber didn't recruit Verdell and it was, you know, Clayton would always kind of be contrarian. And then after that he ended up walking on to Illinois after all that. Right. So exactly. it was always he fun. Ended up, he ended up, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, uh, but it was cool to have that. You know, we saw Verdell show out in that stage, and you got him the most famous assist of his life. So, shout hey, out to- man, hey, I'm just glad he decided to pass it, bro. I'm just glad. I'm just. I'm just glad he heard me yelling, allowed me to, and you know, made the made the right pass for sure. Absolutely. All right. So that you know that shot gets all the attention. Obviously, you know how to ask about it. Mm-hmm. What about another favorite play or two or moment? Like, what stands out to you um, outside of outside of that moment uh, when you look back at your IU career? Oh, I had a lot of um, I had some big moments, man. Um, I had a big time block against Temple, in the um, going in the round of thirty-two uh, in in, in day note. That was pretty big. That was pretty pivotal for us, um, winning winning going advancing to the Sweet Sixteen. That was a big moment. Um, winning at Michigan, winning the Big Ten outright was a, was a big was a big moment um, for sure. That was that was special for us, man. But. Uh, those those two moments are the moments that that probably you know pop out in my head vividly, just just off the just off the cuff. Yeah, and you know you guys were were real solid your senior year, number one team in the country. But you were, I believe, ten and twenty one your freshman year. So it wasn't like the complete bottoming out. That was the year before you got there, but still, you know, pretty it's tough true. times. Uh, so, rough, bro. Right, that's what I'm saying. It's like you had the high moments. What was your low moment probably at IU, like when you you know, thought maybe this this might not work out like it did. So many, bro. So many. I mean, I was just remember getting beat by, you know, going into Ohio State, playing against Evan Turner, uh, all those guys. I mean, getting beat by 30, 40. It just felt like, I don't know, bro, Michigan State beating us up. Everybody, everybody was, everybody, I feel like nobody took it easy on us. I mean, I don't expect, so when we when we got to that level, we just felt like, all right, it's our time to get out, you know, to, to get to get back, so we were trying to beat people 
by 30 every time we could. So uh, it's, a, it's a lot of times, man, not winning the Purdue rivalry uh, my first two years ever. You know, that was that was big, getting that first win against Purdue. Um, man, it, it, was, it was a lot of memories bad, bad back then, bro. But we fought through it. Uh, you know, I had a great core group of guys that we kept each other uplifted. Um, that's that's why I feel like we was able to turn it around just because of the, the the people around us. You know, a lot of people we lost some transfers. A lot of people left. A lot of people couldn't handle it. Uh, for the ones that stuck around, I feel like we we grew we grew real close, and it made a, it made our run like it made my junior and senior that much even better. You know, once once we turned the corner. Yeah, you had some crazy talent on that team senior year. You know, Oladipo, Zeller. What's the craziest thing you saw? Maybe Oladipo or any of those teammates do in practice. Um, you know, some we saw him almost get that one dunk down. I know I can't remember what year that was, but yeah, that was crazy against Michigan. That was crazy yeah. at, at, at Bloomington. That was probably that was one of the craziest things I've seen Big do in the game for sure. Even though he didn't make it, um, that was crazy. But man, those guys were special, bro. Just from just day to day, um, you know. Like I said, I give Vic, Vic was probably one of the hardest working guys I've been around. Uh, Cody was one of the most freakish, like athletic guys I've been around that people don't realize. You know, Cody, uh, Cody never got tired. He always ran with the guards in any conditioning. He always finished first. He was just a you know guy that could really just take off, run the court without stopping. I made him. That's what made him special. He was you know didn't really look athletic, but he had a forty inch vertical. We was bro. We was we was real. We was real talented that year. Um, and I was just seeing them guys on the daily, man, just just do crazy stuff for sure. Yeah, man. And, and you know, we saw what happened this year with that that zone at Syracuse. They, they caught some people. They did it to Jaron Jackson, Miles Bridges, and then back in your senior, uh, yeah, your senior year, uh, caught you guys up in the Sweet 16. Do you ever think about, you know, what would have been different if, if that game would have turned out differently or if, like, you just, you know, wouldn't have got snared up in that zone? I think about a lot. A lot goes into that. Um, you know, we should have been the overall number one seed. We should have been playing in that in that region. Um, we ended up dropping a game to Wisconsin. That's another thing, bro. I, I, it's wild, but I'm 0-8 against Wisconsin in, in the Big Ten. Never won. Never never beat them. The only the only Big Ten school that we that I've never beat. You know, so we lost to them my senior year in the tournament. So I guess that kind of we were number one all year. But I guess that kind of Louisville was playing good at that time, and they kind of gave them overall number one seed. So. It's a lot of stuff going to that man. Uh, we just, we just ain't do it right. We just overthought the zone, like like everybody does in that moment. Uh, Houston did a great job with what Coach Sampson did. This, this how he how he how he handled it. Uh, you know, just rebounding out of it, just steady, just playing. We should have did that, but you know that's hindsight. We, we was just kind of, I don't know, bro. We had like nine points, bro. With like eight minutes left, maybe seven, eight minutes left in the, in the first half. Cause we was just, you know, just too cautious about the zone. Should have just kept playing. Um, that's one of the games, man. I can't even. Watch. I still to this day I can't watch that game, bro. And I still to this day, like I just when I see the Syracuse zone, I just like brings too many flashbacks, bro. Nightmares, man. You see the game really well, though. I noticed. I saw one of your tweets uh, during the Illinois Loyola game. You're like, man, why is Kofi sagging off Crutwig? Um, I went to Illinois, so I was that resonated with me. You know, I was there when when they uh, beat you guys at mm -hmm. Champaign. You know, but uh, I was feeling the same way. I'm like, get up on him on Crutwig, make him feel some pressure, and and uh, yeah. Know, who who y'all to play the next game? They lost to Oregon State. Oregon State, they they pressured the ball. They made it tough. You just lay. I was played zone. I, I see it from a different lens, I, I guess, because I've just been in been been in the pro game. I just know like. Like I'm just a real student of the game, so I kind of really look at stuff. And uh, you know, like I said, me being around my brother, I've been able to still keep my, still keep my, um, you know, my, my feet two, my two feet in the games and stuff like that. So I do look at it from a different way. But yeah, I don't, I just don't understand why y'all did that, bro. Like, hey man, you know, like you said, hey man, it happens, bro. But in but, the game, and it just kind of, you get, you get shook, like you said. Yeah, that that, and I don't, I don't know, man, but. I know it's bro, bro. What those coaches go through and what they able to do and, and the crunch time and stuff like that, and you know, like that's easier said than done. Like, like we're able to sit back and critique it and say, hey, they should have did this, they should have did that. But when the bullets are flying and in the game, like they got their game plan, they got their principles, bro. It's hard to, it's hard to go against them. And I think that's just like my core values. Like, yeah, very well said for sure. Uh, got like two more questions for you. We'll let you go. 
Um, I got to ask, you know, you, you, uh, were iconic with the undershirt all the time. I was, yeah. I was an undershirt guy at times, you know, when I played on the playground and all that, what, what, uh, was the inspiration behind the, uh, the t-shirt? I don't know. It wasn't really no inspiration, bro. I just, I just, I just love like watching t-shirts. I, I looked at everybody that wore t-shirts in college though, from, from, um, you know, everybody wore t-shirts back then, bro. Shaq, I think. Shaq was a t-shirt. Shaq, Rip Hamilton, uh, bro, AJ Moya. It, it, a lot of a lot of people wore wore t-shirts under their jerseys. So I, I don't know. I just saw with Rajon Rondo. He wore t-shirts under his jersey at Kentucky. I don't know. I just felt like that was my kind of thing. Um, uh, and I just I just wore it, bro. I just I felt like I played, but I felt I just felt secure with it. Love it. it. All right. It was like my blanket. <laughs> Last one. Uh, if you could rank the top three, maybe five opposing programs in the Big Ten that you thought were just kind of like, kind of cool. You know, you know, they had some swag about them. Either they had, you know, you don't have to say you would have gone there, but like they were either cool brands, cool campuses, arenas, just in general programs that you, you know, you looked across and you're like, all right, you know, they, they got some swag over there. It's, it's pretty cool what they got going on. Yeah. Which ones would you say? Man, Ohio State had it going for a while. You know, they had that swag. They had that. They had that look, bro. They was they was nice. They had it going. Um, like I said, I always I always like how the way the way Coach Coach Mata handled himself, where he let let his guys go, where he let them play. Uh, so that would be one. Uh, another one would be would be probably Michigan State. I like um I like the way they played. I just like I love their arena. I always played good in their arena, so you know I felt like that was a connection we had. I always played good against them too for some reason. Like I just because they just. Play, you know, they're one of those teams where they just, hey, they ain't really going to be too much schematics. They're just going to play hard. And uh, so Michigan State will probably be two. And the third one? Ooh, that's a tough one. Uh, probably Michigan. Michigan was nice, too. I like that. Their fans and stuff was, was great around the time. They were, they were winning, too. So we had some, we had some real big games. Yeah, some battles, and like you said, that was the that was where you got the Big Ten title. Was it at Michigan? Yeah, man, they had a great team, bro. When you look on, when you look at the team they had, they 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 more talented than us. I've had some of those guys on, like Stauskas and those guys. You know, they yeah, they the had Stauskas, Tim Hardaway, um, Vert was on that team. Yeah, Lavert was on that team. Um, he didn't uh, even play much. Guy, went to the league for a long time. Uh, Gary, Mitch McGarry was on that team. Jordan um, Morgan. Like, uh, Glenn Robinson came to He was on the team, bro. That's like it's like four or five league guys right there. It mm. was nice. They were serious. They, yeah, were. they were nice. We had some battles. All right. I'm, I'm mark it down. Ohio State, Michigan State, Michigan. We'll uh, you know, we'll get the other fans give you some love for that. So yeah, man. I'll tell them something show them a little. I'm, I'm I'm gonna throw Michigan in. I was a little salty they beat us this, this to beat my brother and them, but hey, it's it's, it's part of it. So it yeah. is what it yeah. It's all right. You can we can move past it, you know. Uh, so I'll, I'll move past it. They got it. Absolutely. All right. Christian, C-Watt, it's a lot of fun, man. Um, really fun catching up. I love, you know, reminiscing on, on basketball that I watched, and it was cool to have you on and reminisce with me. So appreciate you jumping on, and, uh, you know, best of luck in all your endeavors, and, you know, we'll continue to follow, and we'll Thanks, man. Out appreciate, the, the appreciate you guys. Appreciate you guys reaching out to me. For sure. Appreciate it. Yeah. Always love, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, man. All right. Thanks once again to Christian for joining. Appreciate him taking some time. Just love, you know, casually talking ball with a guy like him who is now done with the game, uh, playing at least, but, you know, continues to have his fingerprints on it. Um, his brother playing for LSU uh, is the latest example of that. And just like I said, I always say this when I talk to guys that I kind of grew up around the same time when they played. Um, you know, maybe was a few years older, younger than them. Just fun to reflect on their careers and, and bring those memories back. Um, so enjoyed reminiscing on a great team in Indiana and, uh, you know, getting some behind the scenes insight into how those moments uh, came to be. So shout out to Christian one more time. And then we will uh, kick it over after that to Harold Shelton. If you have not listened to this show before, um, we generally have Harold on in season during football and basketball to talk about what's going on on the field, on the court. Uh, Harold is really good at breaking down exactly what is going on and explaining it, dissecting it. 
And, um, you know, obviously the Big Ten men's basketball season is now over. And uh, we talk about what happened to Michigan. Um, we In our last episode, we kind of, you know, diagnosed what happened to the Big Ten in the NCAA tournament. And this one was mainly just focused on Michigan. And uh, then after that, we talked some off-season topics for both football and men's basketball. So just because uh, basketball's over does not mean we ran out of things to talk about. Plenty of stuff going on from NFL Pro Days, NFL Draft coming up, and, uh, of course, all the drama in the Big Ten basketball offseason, whether it's the coaching changes. Uh, Harold had some great perspective on the incoming three Big Ten basketball head coaches, uh, transfer portal, recruiting. Plenty of stuff to talk about, and we'll continue to talk about stuff with Harold as we move forward into the spring and summer. Uh, disclaimer, we did not record this uh after the Adam Miller news broke for Illinois. Obviously a big transfer in Big Ten basketball universe. We talk transfers, Miller's name did not come up because it did not happen yet. Um, so just throwing that out there if you get to that point in the discussion and wondering why we're ignoring a uh, big news story in Big Ten basketball. But anyway, this intro has dragged on, so I will get to Harold now. It's a Take Ten podcast discussion with Harold Shelton. All right, very pleased to be rejoined by BTN manager of research, Harold Shelton. H, how's it going? Post outs from the NCAA tournament. Big Ten is done. Um, the offseason begins, but, you know, the grind doesn't stop. So how you doing? Doing all right. Um, you know, certainly a late night. I was at a, a Tuesday night waiting for that Michigan game to end and seeing, you know, how busy this week was going to be for me. Uh, you know, Michigan would have advanced. That would involve Final Four packet and a ton of shows leading up to Saturday. Uh, but with them being knocked out, schedule certainly uh, is a little lighter this week. Yeah, so this will probably come out the day of the national championship game. So if it's not Gonzaga and Baylor, I will be shocked. I don't know about yeah. you, but, I mean, it's kind of been what this whole season's been leading up to. Yeah, exactly. People thought, uh, you know, those two teams were the best two teams, you know, throughout uh, you know, Michigan and Illinois were challengers for a bit there. Um, once Baylor kind of came off of the, the COVID pause, it didn't look like the Baylor from earlier in the year, but they seemed to have figured it out. And it definitely looks like that collision course that people have been talking about for months is just a game away. All right. So we'll get into some more Michigan, uh, like post-mortem in a second here. Um, but as we've done recently with our podcast guests here uh this episode features christian watford from indiana want to get your memories of him um you know i can't think of anything off the top of my head that would be memorable from his career you know i don't think he ever did anything that was like that significant so what 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 jumps out to you uh certainly the t-shirt under the jersey right i mean that's right. kind of the signature right now uh, <laughs> i mean shout out to the guys who wear the t-shirt under the jerseys though absolutely i'm always a, always got a soft spot for those guys um, but obviously the Kentucky shot is the shot that you think of. Um, I think that was a huge moment in Indiana basketball. It kind of signaled that, hey, this program is on the way back. Um, and I always have appreciation for guys who take a chance on a program that is a little down. Um, obviously, when he got there, it was the very beginning of the Korean era. Um, a lot of lean years. And by the end of it, he's a Big Ten champion. And he goes down in history as, you know, as a guy who made one of the biggest shots again in program history against a team they absolutely do not like. So um, pretty good career for Christian Wofford. Um, and again, shout out to the T-shirt. Yeah, you know, definitely brought this up with him. But uh, the moment was not made possible without a graduate from my high school. Champaign Central, Verdell Jones with the assist. Nice. Uh, it was pretty cool because, like, I was still in high school at that point, I think. Um, if it was 2011, yeah, would have still been in high school. So that, that was kind of a neat brush with, uh, you know, a big moment in the college basketball world. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Uh, and I think Verdell Jones is another guy who you give a lot of credit to for kind of, you know, keeping things afloat there. And you, you need guys like him and Watford to buy in and believe in the plan of turning things around. And they were – two big catalysts, you know, before the Oladipo Zeller group got it fully going. Yeah. Feels so bad that Verdell never got to play in the NCAA tournament, uh, yeah. had that injury, but, um, you know, he's, he's been on the show. He's, he's in a good spot. Uh, so shout and out to the him. Show, his, love it. Yeah. And his brother Clayton was, was my teammate and then walked on to Illinois. It's funny. Cause like when, uh, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to put their name too much out there, but, um, when I remember Verdell being 
at IU and that family always wear IU stuff. And, and, you know, it seemed like, uh, Verdell would have stayed home if he had the option, but, uh, I don't know. I'm not going to put words in his mouth, but then his brother turns around and walks on Illinois. So I always thought that was funny. So shout out to, to Clayton Jones. Nice. All right. So moving on H, um, let's get back into Michigan a little bit. Um, we can just talk about the game briefly. I don't know what it was like. It just didn't have the look or feel of, uh, you know, a team that was, was going to move on, destined to move on. They, they just looked cooked kind of by the end. Um, guys were having off games pretty much all at once uh, outside of Dickinson. And that's kind of what happened to some of the Big Ten's other, you know, best chances to make the Final Four. Like uh, Washington for Ohio State just kind of ran out of gas. Illinois guys kind of all had bad games at once outside of the, the big man, big men inside. Um, so do you think it, they just ran out of gas? What do you think was the, uh, you know, biggest factor in that loss to UCLA? Um, I, I did, you kind of took the words right out of my mouth in terms of, uh, you know, guys just picking a bad time to have a bad game. Uh, Franz Wagner, certainly in that camp, you know, going one for 10. Like I know Dickinson gets all the accolades and I know we talk so much about livers and what a presence he is, but I feel like Wagner's the best player on that team, the best prospect on that team. And the fact that he went one for 10, had some key moments late where, you know, a big three here or there could have potentially put them in the final four. Um, and it, you know, comes up short, uh, you know, obviously a tough pill to, to swallow for Michigan. And, and, you know, that was kind of the theme of the big 10, you know, Dwayne Washington picked a bad time to have a bad game. Same with IO, uh, you know, a lot of the big name guys, you know, Aaron Henry at times, you know, late. And it, that's just kind of how it went for the big 10 this year, the guys that, had a lot of the accolades you know, that you saw, you know, the capabilities of guys could drop 30 or 20 and 10 or very all around game, late game execution. Once again, the issue, um, I think the only way UCLA could have won that game was the way it played out just to completely ugly it up, uh, you know, make Michigan uncomfortable, you know, get it in the sixties and <laughs> UCLA kept it in fifties and forties for Michigan. So, um, you know, a, a lower possession game like that, you know, the the lack of point guard play certainly uh, hurt Michigan. Mike Smith did not play well in that game. And, you know, 14 turnovers in a low possession game spells. You know, that's a recipe for disaster. And UCLA had a guy score over half their points in Juzang. He was, he was unconscious out there. So, yeah, it is what it is. I think, you know, if you're a Michigan fan, um, it hurts less probably than a lot of the other Big Ten teams that had that was kind of their culmination team, right? Like in Iowa or Illinois, mm-hmm. um, and you know their disappointing performances probably are still lingering. But with Michigan, like they, they just kind of arrived early, right? Like nobody really expected them to do what they did this year when the Big Ten, um, you know, go close to undefeated for a portion of the year, large portion of the year. So not only that, they have a great recruiting class coming in, still number one in the country, I believe. So if you're a Michigan fan, I think you're sitting pretty right now. Um, I I don't imagine too many. That's kind of what I saw on, you know, on the social media reaction front. It just seemed like people kind of shrugged and said, you know, Livers was gone. It happens. We'll be back next year. I I can see some of that, but I feel like chances at the final four shouldn't be taken for granted. Um, this, This had very similar 2014 vibes for me where, you know, Michigan was the best team in the Big Ten. Um, you know, they won the league, I want to say, by like three games or something in, in 2014. Uh, they get a two seed. You know, they kind of rolled their way to the Elite Eight. You got an eight seed. You got a team you're supposed to beat in the Elite Eight. And, you know, you get beat on a last-second shot. And it's like it's a missed opportunity. And, you know, people – you know, it was kind of a similar thing of like, well, you know, these guys will be back. This is just the beginning. This is coming right after the national championship game. And it took a few years for them to get back to the Final Four. And, you know, speaking from a Michigan State fan experience, like, okay, we got team in 2016. That should be really good. And they go out early. And team in 2018 is really good. They, you know, they added Jaron Jackson to go with – you know, the Miles Bridges and Langford and Winston class, and you go out in the second round. Like, getting to a Final Four is really, really hard. And so when you get a chance to beat an eight seed or beat an 11 seed and you don't close the deal, like, it, it, I feel like it's going to linger a little bit more than people realize, um, especially if that recruiting class doesn't get them to the Final Four next year. And I do think it's, you know, 
to your point, they got a loaded class coming in. They should be really good again. But we've seen that being old wins in college basketball. And so I think it depends on who stays and who goes and if they add anybody in the portal and that kind of stuff to have some guys go along with those recruits uh, to kind of keep this train moving forward. Yeah, I feel real bad for those Michigan State teams that didn't make it, you know, outside of the seven Final Four since. since I'm just saying it's it's hard, man. (laughs) Your point is is well taken that it is very special to get to a Final Four and, and it was right there for them with a, you know, team that was down. 11 and a half to your Spartans in the play in the first four games. So you're exactly right. I, I think one thing that also, you know, Michigan fans and, and honestly the whole big 10 has had to reckon with is, is the fact that it would be, have been very difficult to make this the year that ends the national championship drought because Gonzaga is ridiculous. Like they just seem to be getting stronger as the tournament goes along. Um, I will be surprised if anyone beats them. And I think Baylor, like we talked about, has a decent chance, but, you know, I, I think a, a Big Ten team would have trouble beating Baylor as well. So uh, I know that's kind of a defeatist attitude, but, um, you know, I, I don't think the Big Ten streak would would have ended this year if more teams would have gotten deep into the tournament, even if, you know, two Big Ten teams were in the Final Four. It would have been a uphill battle to, to get to the championship game. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, and, and we've seen it in the past, right? Like, when Michigan got to the title game in 2018, that Villanova team was loaded. You know, it just is what it is. Um, you know, t- 2015, Wisconsin runs into a loaded Duke team. You know, your Illinois guys ran into a loaded Carolina team. You know, my Michigan State guys ran into a loaded Carolina team. Like, sometimes, some years, it's kind of wide open, like 2014, which is why I think, like, for Michigan – like that could have been a year where they won it all when you get a seven against an eight in a national title game. There Wisconsin, is no team. Yeah. yeah, Wisconsin loses on Aaron Harrison jumper. Like either one of those teams could have been the ones to to end that streak. But you're right. Like this Gonzaga team might be the best of all of those teams that we just mentioned because they got everything. And uh, this might be the most efficient offense I've ever seen. Um, and now they're adding lottery picks to go with it. Like it's <laughs> Like they got it rolling out there. Yeah, it's the Big Ten has had generational teams that could win and would have won in other years. They just keep running into it. We talk about it all the time. They keep running into other generational teams along the way. Um, you know, it wasn't the case this year, but it, it could have been. Um, all right, H, let's move along because we did talk last week, but we didn't really talk uh, about the developing you know, head coaching carousel. It was still spinning at that point. Looks to have stopped, uh, you know, hopefully in the Big Ten uh, at this point now that Indiana has hired Mike Woodson. But uh, pretty cool thing. We got uh, three new Big Ten head coaches, three new black head coaches, uh, Michael Shrewsbury, Ben Johnson, and then obviously Mike Woodson, which we talked with um, with Christian Watford about. And, uh, you know, that's definitely the biggest name, biggest move out there. So just, you know, let's start with general coaching carousel thoughts of the Big Ten. It's been a while since we've had this much movement. Um, what jumps out at you? Uh, I mean, you said it, the fact that there's uh, three black head coaches that have been hired. Um, you know, I was looking it up, trying to figure out the last time we had, you know, three black head coaches. And this was after Shrewsbury got hired and I was looking through it. I'm like, man, it's been a while. And then you add a fourth with Woodson and you got to go back to the 1996-97, you know, to find the when the Big Ten had four black head coaches all at the same time. Um, and back then that was you know, Randy Ayers at Ohio State and like Jerry Dunn and Clem Haskins and, and Ricky Birdsong and Northwestern. Like you have to go back 25 years, you know, to find the last time that this happened. And, you know, not only that, before Jawan Howard got hired in 2019, the last black head coach that was hired in the Big Ten was Tubby Smith. Like that's a long, long time ago. And I know Eddie Jordan was in the league, but, you know, Rutgers was in the American when he was hired. So the fact that you go from not making a black head coach hire in 12 years and then you get four in the span of two seasons, like that's that's a big deal. And, you know, I got to give a lot of credit to Juwan Howard because once he became successful, I think it allowed ADs to say, okay, we can hire former players that are coaching elsewhere from our alma maters like Ben Johnson, like Mike Woodson, and 
you're, you don't have some built-in excuse of, oh, well, you know, they don't have any head coaching experience or, oh, you know, they've been gone in the NBA for too long. We don't know how it's going to react. Like the fact that Jawan was able to be successful so early basically killed an entire argument. And, you know, who knows? We'll see what happens. Um, I'm definitely looking forward to, to seeing the new blood in here. And uh, in the case of Penn State, you know, they had a ton of dudes in the portal. And so I'll be curious to see if Shrewsbury can keep any of those guys. Yeah, Brockington, I think, announced he's coming back. I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure. Um, but yeah, no, it's too bad that Juwan had to prove anything in that conversation. You know, it, it, the burden shouldn't have been on him. Um, it People always say, like, you know, why does it matter? In the, in the you know, never read the comments or the replies, but that's, that's kind of what you see from people who don't understand. Um, but, you know, it does matter. Like, vast majority of our, our players are black in the Big Ten, or the uh, majority for sure. And, and when you have, you know, all white or mostly white head coaches, it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. How can you defend that? So it's great to see now a, uh, a better balance. And, and like you said, um, some new blood coming into the league. Um, and I'm excited to see, you know, what they can do from a straight-up basketball standpoint. And like you said, with uh, making some history here for the first time in 25 years or so. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I like the fact that guy that these schools, for the most part, went and got guys that know the program, they know the fabric. You know, Mike Woodson, you know, played in the you know, late 70s, early 80s, kind of laid the foundation, you know, for the Indiana title team. You know, Ben Johnson played at Minnesota. He coached at Minnesota. He knows what it's like. And maybe, you know, some of these guys can help recruit in-state talent that continues to leave. I mean, we've seen a lot of talented Minneapolis kids or Minnesota kids in general leave that state. If he's able to keep some of those guys, like Minnesota could be, you know, an upper echelon Big Ten team instead of a team that's, you know, kind of hovering around the bubble or a middle of the pack, you know, in the standings kind of team. Like they could be a team fighting for a double bye and fighting for higher season NCAA tournament if he's able to keep some of those guys there. And who knows if Mike Woodson winds up having success, you know, people have been waiting for Indiana to kind of get back to being Indiana. You know, Crean had it for a couple of years there, but it hasn't been sustained, you know, since Knight left. You know, maybe he's the guy that gets them back into, you know, Big Ten title contention every single year. We'll see. It is crazy to your point about Minnesota, and um, I lumped Canada in with that as well, just as places you think are, like, great hockey only. Um, They turn out some serious basketball talent, you know. And like you said, if you can keep some home. I mean, just recently we see Jalen Suggs and then Chet Holmgren, I know, is now the next big name out of Minnesota. Uh, Our guy Stauskas, who's been on the show, is from, uh, I think, Mississauga in Ontario. And, you know, beyond that, just like your Andrew Wiggins, people like that, like you don't realize how much talent the they got up north. Yeah, I mean, both of the Jones kids, they went to Duke. You know, you keep one of them home. Jones, yeah. Who knows? Yeah, those were Apple Valley guys, I believe. Yep. Um, okay, but, you know, we talked about it. Minnesota and Penn State are projects, um, you know, and the expectations there are, are just naturally not as high as they are at Indiana. This is a high-pressure job. We all know it. Um and we all know that there was a long search at Indiana that, that uh, you know, eventually landed on Mike Woodson. Um, and I guess I don't I can't speak for the fan base. I don't know how many uh, people in that fan base are sold on board. I definitely I think it appeals to uh, the old heads and the donors and the, the people who remember Mike Woodson, uh, you know, more clearly and are completely bought in on that front. Um, how do you think just getting a little deeper into it for Indiana how what does a successful Mike Woodson era look like? How does it kind of get off the ground there? And what are some hurdles that he might have to avoid just in that you know intense situation there in Bloomington? Um, I feel like you have to keep some Indiana kids home for one. Um, I thought Archie did a pretty good job recruiting, but for whatever reason, his teams weren't really good to watch. Like when you think of Indiana basketball, it's you know ball movement, good shooting you know, passing, cutting, some of the like Brad Stevens, Butler stuff that you saw. And, you know, during Archie's tenure, they didn't have a team that could shoot at all. I believe they shot under 33% from three all four years that he was there. And so they have to get back to being a good shooting team, being a good offensive team. When Crean was there, 
I think his last year there, you know, they were either the best or the second best three point shooting team in the country. And you had a, a point guard in Yogi Ferrell who could who can run things, and you still had, you know, guys who were pros in Oladipo and Zeller. You have to get guys like that again. Um, I think that's a huge part of it. And I think you have to get back in the title contention every three or four years in the, in the Big Ten. It can't be, oh, we're just trying to make the tournament. Oh, we're on the bubble. Oh, we're, you know, sixth or seventh or eighth. Like, you have to be consistently in the top four of the Big Ten. I mean, that's what Indiana basketball is. Um, and they, they haven't been that in a long, long time. I just hope he gets the time to do it. We hope, you know, we've seen guys get shorter leashes because of various reasons. Um, I hope Mike Woodson actually gets the chance to to do that, um, you know, actually implement a program and a system where he gets four or five years. And if it doesn't wind up working, so be it. But, you know, if it's two years and he's on the hot seat, like, I think that's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, I think being an Indiana guy, that's where it really helps, right? He's got the benefit of the doubt a little bit. He's got that cachet. Um, he's not an outsider like Archie is uh, and was. Um, so I think that will definitely work in his favor. Uh, as long as things seem to be trending up, which, you know, it, it, like you said, you have to take them from an NIT team to, at minimum, you know, a, a solidly in the NCAA pr- tournament team program. So, um, yeah, best of luck. I mean, I think... It's it's cliche, but like basketball is better when Indiana basketball is is powerful. So um, looking forward to seeing what all these head coaches can do. I really liked all their press conferences and and um, you know what they brought, especially Ben Johnson. That dude was like full of energy. Like I was about to sign a letter of intent just watching that. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think it helped that he had been in the league for so long, so he knows a lot of these coaches. I like that he said that you know. Tom Izzo and Matt Painter were guys that he looked up to. And, you know, that's a that's a Purdue guy and that's a Michigan State guy. And we want to have Minnesota guys like the fact that he already has in mind what he wants a Minnesota Gopher player to look like, like I think is a big thing. Like you got to have some kind of identity. Um, I didn't really know what Minnesota's identity was. I didn't know what Indiana's identity was. At least with Penn State, when Chambers was there, you knew they were going to be a team that was that played hard and scrappy. And like that was their identity. Um, but I didn't know what it was for Indiana and I didn't know what it was for Minnesota. Um, and again, I think for me, we've had so many times where guys have been named as home run hires in football and basketball before it's happened and it hasn't really worked out. And now I've heard a lot of people, you know, Twitter, you give and take, but people on Twitter saying that, you know, it's Mike Woodson hires stupid. He's got no experience. He's old. Why would you make a hire like this? This is going to fail. This isn't Jawan Howard. And I mean, the dude wasn't even in Bloomington yet. Like he hadn't even spoken to the media or his players yet. And we're already, you know, judging this hire. Let's just let it play out for a bit and let's see what happens. And I felt like a lot of that happened with Jawan Howard too. Of Oh, how do you replace, you know, the greatest coach in Michigan history with a guy who never coached. And it seems like a reach. And two years later, you know, they're a shot away from the final four. Like, Let's let all of these hires play out. Let's not go hot take style here. Let's give them three, four, five years, and then we can reevaluate. Hey, sounds reasonable to me. You know, Twitter doesn't play by those rules, but uh, I kind of like that approach, H. It's, uh, you know, not as common these days, but. I try uh, to be even. Exactly, even keeled. Okay, um, immediately, though, like, their success, a lot of it depends on who decides to stick around, who they can maybe, uh, you know, bring in the transfer market. Like, we know it's going crazy right now. It, we're kind of in uncharted waters, you know, with the whole COVID, will they stay or will they go situation with eligibility, with immediate eligibility transfer situation. Um, it is it is wild out in the streets right now, in, with the transfers, and um, all three of these programs have big names in, in the market and, you know, potentially could bring in some, some big names as well. You know, you got your Marcus Carr uh, at Minnesota, um, we just saw Jamari Wheeler go to Ohio State, but like I said, Brockington seems like he's sticking around. Um, and then for Indiana, like, what's Trace Jackson Davis going to do? Uh, I haven't really heard much on on that front. Uh, but you know, there it seems like there's a lot of just limbo right now. So not only with these teams, but like across the Big Ten, what are some of the you know implications of just this really disruptive era now of college basketball in the off season? When I'm sure you know. A lot of these coaches are, are not getting any sleep and are keeping their, their phones right by the pillow. 
Yeah, it seems like you just have to continue to recruit your players. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's one thing like when you get them to sign a letter of intent, but now it feels like you have to, uh, you know, kind of recruit them even more if they seem to be unhappy. I, I wonder sometimes if coaching decisions happen throughout the year. If, well, if I don't play this guy enough, will he look to transfer? And then if you wind up playing him, is that the, at the detriment of somebody else? Um, you know, we've seen, you know, Armand Franklin's another guy that's in the portal. We don't, he hasn't made a decision yet. Um, we, we touched on Marcus Carr, Penn State still got John Harris, Seth Lundy, you know, a bunch of other guys still in the portal uh, coming from the, the Michigan State side. You know, they've added a guy in the portal. They lost Rocky Watts to the portal. I think the portal is just going to be a new thing. It's, you know, basically free agency in college basketball. And I think it, it sucks for mid-majors. I don't know if you'll get a lot of mid-major schools who have five seniors stick around and it all comes together and they get to the tournament and make a run. I feel like these days now it's it's almost an audition of, hey, if I go out and we play, you know, Illinois in a in a you know a non-conference game or some tournament and I go out and I score 25 or 30 and I'm like, you know what, I could play with these guys. At the end of the year, I'm gonna look and see if I can go be a big 10 player. I'm going to go be an ACC player. And I know that was the case with, with Tyson Walker, who transferred to Michigan State from Northeastern. He plays against North Carolina. He scores 27. They go on a COVID pause. And he's like, you know what? I could play at that level. I'm going to try to go to, you know, whether it's Michigan State or Kansas or Maryland or whoever. And I feel like these days, the portal is going to be a new thing. I don't think it's going to uh, go anywhere. And I think you almost have to keep a scholarship or two available instead of spending it all on high school kids that you got to have a couple in your back pocket just in case of, you know what, we really need a point guard or we really need a big. Some of the guys we recruited aren't necessarily panning out or taking a little longer. We can't afford to wait. We got a big hole to fill. Let me go on the portal and get a guy. I think that's just the new normal. Yeah, and I really don't mind it. Like, I know there's some pearl clutching about it. Um, you know, players just kind of, you know, leaving after yeah, it's true that players do some will make bad decisions and will leave when they shouldn't will leave too early will leave expectations you know f forever unfilled and and the musical chairs might stop and they might get left out in the cold but at least it's their decision right like exactly i you know i it, we're going to look back and even you know it wasn't so long ago that players couldn't even test the NBA waters and come back and now it just seems it's just second nature like we you know i can't really remember a, a college basketball time without the kind of limbo season of testing the NBA waters and then either staying in the draft or coming back. So like, I don't think it's going to be that big a deal. Like I, th I think it'll even out like most things in college sports do. Uh, the models already been set for transfers to, to make big impacts at programs like Iowa state. And now Hoiberg's trying to do that in Nebraska as well. I think it'll, it'll help, you know, I think it'll do more good than harm for sure. And um, you know, we see it. It's any argument that people make against players being able to do this just throw it back in their face with the coaches doing it every year. Coaches yep. can leave, take a new job. They'll be on a plane and be on campus somewhere else by lunch, you know, and, and nobody bats an eye at that. Yeah. I, I was just going to, I was just going to say like coaches do it all the time. Um, never have to pay a penalty. They don't have to sit out for a year when they go leave their program and go to another program. And yet players still have to do that at times, which I think is another thing. I'm glad that, um, it's not official as of yet, but at least for this year, it could be immediate eligibility for a transfer. I would like that for all transfers personally, um, especially if the coach that they signed up for isn't there anymore. Like they shouldn't feel like they have to stay somewhere because they committed to a coach or an assistant coach. And if that coach isn't there anymore, then they should have the option to leave if they want and not feel tied down. I'm all about player empowerment. I know a lot of the old guard kind of likes the way it's been because this is how it is. And I'm not a fan of that. So I'm, I'm glad to see that players, you know, whether it's the, hey, I can go work out at the combine, I can enter my name, I can get the feedback and I can make a more educated decision for myself. Um, and I think that helps both. I think that helps the players and the schools um, by being able to say, hey, you know what? The scout said I need to work on my left hand and I need to be a better shooter and I can come back and specifically work on those things. And now I can go ahead and 
help the team do X, Y, and Z. Aaron Henry, a perfect example of that, um, winds up becoming a you know third team All Big Ten player. The main reason why Michigan State kept their streak alive, and you know without that feedback, you know maybe he just goes to the draft and they miss the tournament and he's not drafted and it's a lose lose for everybody. All right, this is going to be a you know constantly developing list of guys who are half in half out. We'll see, but you know as of now, I think the two maybe three biggest question marks. We mentioned Trace Jackson Davis at Indiana. Um, then Kofi at Illinois, and then Liddell officially is has put his name in the, the draft and will test the waters. So uh, Kofi and Liddell, especially just as far as like a Big Ten uh, championship race shapes up next year. Uh, I think, you know, if Kofi comes back, Illinois could be top three in the Big Ten, maybe almost, you know, a unanimous predict uh, projection for a top three finish in the Big Ten just with, you know, kind of seeing how they played without Io toward the end of the season this year. And then Ohio State should be really good again with, uh, you know, Liddell and, and the rest of that cast with Michigan still probably being the favorite and Purdue right there as well. So, you know, you have the top four seeds in uh, this year's tournament or um, no, three of the top four in this year's tournament. Or was it was Iowa? Iowa, yeah, played I, Iowa was three. We'll, we'll see what they look yeah. like. Um, yeah, exactly. Jordan but, Bohannon's uh, another guy. Who Bohannon, yeah. Back. Yeah, that, that would be wild too. Like I saw that uh, on Twitter, and and that's a whole that's getting into like the um, name, image, and likeness discussion. He's kind of lobbying for that alongside his his potential return. So it's it's uh, you know really kind of intriguing right now. And um, Iowa's definitely I think losing more most likely, but uh, we'll see. I know I don't think Wieskamp has has made an official decision yet either, has he? No, I haven't seen anything on him. Um, I think uh, in, in addition to the names you mentioned, I think Franz Wagner's a big one too. Franz, yep. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of mocks where he's a first-round guy just because of the length and athleticism and the way he defends. Um, if he goes, I think that's a big blow. If he comes back, I think that makes Michigan potentially the favorite again um, with the class that they got coming in. So we'll we'll see, you know, between the fact of guys leaving to go to the draft or guys who are already fifth-year fifth senior saying, you know what, I want to run it back. I got some unfinished business. I can go ahead and take advantage of uh, staying the scholarship doesn't count against the limit and you know it'll be interesting to see like if teams are carrying 16 17 guys next year because these seniors that can come back don't count against the scholarship limit so that's gonna be really weird next year too yeah you can have three squads in practice you know instead of just the the starters and the scout team you can have threes rotating in and out you know and <laughs> it'll be wild especially if you know guys like your sixth and seventh year seniors like I saw um you know Bohannon's obviously our 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 now designated old guy in the Big Ten but there's Jalen Coleman lands uh out there still playing college basketball and like he was in school for multiple years while I was and he's like working on his seventh year I think and he yeah. plans to transfer somewhere else for like his fourth school yeah it's crazy right and you know what if you got an opportunity Take advantage of it. Maybe you want to get a master's degree or some kind of doctorate of some sort. Have at it. Have a school pay for it. Um, go ahead and, and travel around and, and see if you can make a tourney run somewhere. Maybe you're the missing piece. I, I got no problem with it. Would love to see a doctor player, you know, on the floor, put it on the back of the jersey. You know, it could be the first doctor blank last name. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Um all right, age. Before we wrap up, you know it's a lot of hoops talk. I'm still in hoops mode, um, even though season is about to end. Um, but right now, you know, professionally, kind of turning my attention toward the football scene with uh, NFL pro days going on, college pro days, preparing for the NFL draft. That is, and you know, spring football come around. Um, you know, spring spring football to me is is just kind of mere entertainment. Like I don't take too much from it, but it's kind of cool this year with pro days getting so much of the spotlight shone on them because there was no NFL combine and, you know, we're seeing all these facilities that we're familiar with going to, uh, during the summer now on like NFL network and stuff. It's kind of funny. Um, how much attention is being paid on these 40 times that we don't even know, like if the stopwatch is fast or not, like who's even like verifying these, but we're seeing some cool numbers out of Ohio state, Penn state, Minnesota. I saw today, uh, Rashad Bateman ran under a four, four 40, 
Um, some of the Penn State guys wowed us last week. We brought that up on last week's show. Like, leading up to the draft, does, does this all mean anything to you, or is it just kind of fodder for, um, you know, post-basketball season, something to keep us busy until, you know, at least we see where a lot of these guys end up in four weeks from now? I think it's very beneficial for guys who uh, normally wouldn't be invited to the combine. Um, I think that, you know, usually schools like Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, they get anywhere from six to 12 guys a year that go. Uh, and there are other guys who, you know, had good years, but, you know, weren't invited for whatever reason. I think it helps those guys tremendously to have all 32 teams you know, come in there and not just the the fourth scout on, you know, whatever franchise, like the main guys are there to look at, you know, Justin Fields, but that could allow a guy like P Warner to, you know, potentially blow up and, you know, run some crazy time that makes some scouts say, oh, hmm, okay. I didn't think he was this fast, right? I didn't think he was this athletic. I think it helps guys who, might have, who were either combine fringe or late day three fringe guys potentially move up and kind of to show their skills. Um, I know in the case of Michigan State, Mel Tucker wound up inviting a bunch of the guys from the, the 2020 group who didn't have a chance to have a pro day. He invited all those guys back um, that wanted to participate in it just to kind of get uh, get in front of scouts and kind of perform. I'm not sure if it, uh, other schools did that, but um, I do think it helps tremendously uh, to have, you know, the pro days where all 32 teams can come and represent and you get some inflated times, but hey, you know, that's, if a guy runs a, a 4-4-40, that could mean several million more dollars compared to if he ran a 4-5 or a 4-6. So I, I'm cool with it. Yeah, it's a good point. It's kind of like the uh, the scout going to an AU game and recruiting the, you know, or the co high school coach recruiting, I'm sorry, college coach recruiting a high school teammate of the star or an AU st uh, teammate of the star. So, um, you know, definitely a good point about the pro days. I hope like some form of this sticks around, even with the combine, um, probably coming back next year in some sort of normal fashion. But it's kind of one of those things, right? Like the toothpaste is out of the tube on this. I think now that you see like 31 teams at Ohio state yesterday, you know, they had to compete with Alabama on the same day, but now you don't want to be the scout that's left out of these pro days. And now is to explain to your GM or head coach why you missed on this guy, the sleeper. So I think they're just going to send people to everybody. And this is like now the new thing um, that is also going to just, you know, feed the NFL machine, the off season and will be a big deal going forward. And um, you know, I'm, I'm all about it. It can be like our spring bus tour. We should like, we should we should get it out on this age. Like all the all the cameras are on our campuses. Let's take advantage. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely with that. Um, and me personally, I wasn't a huge combine guy anyway. Um, no. You know, I, I always called it the Underwear Olympics. Basically, yep. guys are just out there, you know, running around, running drills, and you know, a guy running straight ahead. That's great, but like, you know, what did the tape show? Like, how fast was he on tape with pads, and how fast was he? You know, when it's forty degrees or 30 degrees in the fourth quarter. Like, that's the stuff I care about. Like, I don't care how he runs in a, a climate-controlled environment, you know, just running straight ahead. Like, who cares? Like, show me, you know, what he did for three or four years against the best teams in the conference or the country. I feel like that matters way more than what you're doing in two or three days. Yeah, I read an article a couple of years ago by Wright Thompson. Um, I think it was, like, centered around the last combine that took place in Indy. And it's basically, like, just turned into this – Goliath event where all coaches and scouts just basically like meet up at St. Elmo's and, and hang out and it's like oh and there's also the combine going on and we may or may not watch you know these players work out and it's it just become kind of a caricature I don't know like it'll be it'll be interesting to see what comes of it but I do think the pro days are here to stay so yeah I do too and I think you know I feel like we've had a lot of things in COVID that have happened and I'd be fine if some of those continued. Like, that's not stuff I would have thought about before COVID, but since it's happened, you know what? I kind of like this change better than the way it was. And so I feel like this, this pro day could be one of those things too. One of those things being Zoom podcasts, you know, had fun doing all these Zoom podcasts, seeing these guests' faces, getting getting our faces on YouTube, you know, getting uh, 
getting some leverage worked into our contracts that don't exist when the, the negotiations come up. Yeah, we got to so, work on that too. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so with that, we'll wrap up this week. H, uh, we'll be back yeah, with something to talk about, I'm sure, in the near future. But for now, I appreciate you jumping on, and we will talk soon. It sounds good, man. Thanks for having me on. All right. Thanks once again to H and Christian Watford for joining the show. Really fun discussion with both those guys. Um, got more planned for you guys coming up. The audience, uh, a lot of a lot of podcasts coming this spring as now sports have wound down, at least the ones that I am tasked with, football and men's basketball here at the network. So uh, we'll have plenty of guests coming up before we get to uh, the summer months here. So definitely stay tuned. You can do that by subscribing on your normal podcast platforms, Google Podcasts, of course, uh, Apple Podcasts. We're on Podbean, Spotify as well. And if you want to see the guests on the show and see me, you can go to Big Ten Network's YouTube channel, subscribe to that, and then find the Take 10 Podcast playlist where every episode for pretty much the last year now since Zoom came universal, uh, we have recorded on video and uploaded to YouTube. So definitely a, a fun added element to the show. Check us out on video there. And don't forget to subscribe, leave comments, reviews, ratings, all that good stuff. All right. Thanks, as always, to everyone for tuning in. Thanks to Julie Bronder for producing, stitching the show together, editing. And we'll talk to everyone very soon here on the Take 10 Podcast.